Good morning, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48 and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. And boy, we've had a lot of snow. If you're living in the Anchorage Bowl area, um, living out in the valley, living out um, on the peninsula, there has just been feet of snow falling. So um, winter's definitely arrived here in Alaska. This is episode 22 in my podcast, but for this mini-series, this is episode 8, and it's entitled Mystery Revealed, and if you haven't listened to the other episodes, it starts with what's wrong with being right, and I encourage you to listen to those and to um, bring yourself up to date before you listen to this episode. Once again, I'm going to ask you to use that amazing imagination of yours that God has given you. The dark shadows gave way to the morning sun as the reflection off the metal of the airplane glimmered with the cold blue Alaska day. Meg was a well-seasoned pilot. Dr. Lynn and Joan were sitting in the back, now fugitives from being set up by Dr. Lynn's wife, Sally, and would not be able to return to Anchorage. They left everything to follow Christ. Joan had been delivered from demons and Dr. Lynn now knew the truth as a new believer. The plane ride was like drifting on a still, peaceful river of air, until it wasn't. Like a rogue wave that would knock a beachgoer down and drag him out to the sea, the little plane was hit with a massive downshift of air, forcing it to lose altitude at an alarming rate. All Meg could do was hang on to the stick for dear life, the plane shot to the ground as if in the belly of a twister, and the wind shear seemingly would not let go of its death grip. But then at the last moment, it released them, and Meg was able to land the plane, miraculously, near a seemingly abandoned airplane hangar. All three said a prayer of gratitude they survived, and they taxied the plane to the hangar, as she wanted to check it out for the damage, if there was any damage. The rattled passengers weren't thrilled to go back into the sky and kiss the ground. Meg was going through her checklist as the planes seemed to be ready for their continued journey, which their destination was just a few hours away. She then heard a loud roar as the hangar doors were closing in on them. Lights clicked on, and a hundred women, all with swords, surrounded them. They were taken by force and brought into an interrogation room where Ching Vao's second-in-command, Lu Vao, who was her sister, was waiting for them. They would have been searching for you. We have been searching for you. But you instead found us. How convenient, said Lu Vao. You know what I need to know. And you also know I will use every measure in my power to make you, let's say, uncomfortable enough to tell me where the entrance to the Underground Railroad is. The group was silent. Lu contacted Ching Vao by phone. What are your orders? Ching Vao video called John Elton, who was in Washington, D.C. He could be not more pleased with this news. He provided his orders to take Dr. Lin and Joan back to Anchorage and turn them over to the police, as it seems now that Sally, Dr. Lin's soon-to-be ex-wife, planted records in Joan's home as well, so she would also go to jail. Meg held the key to the entrance. She would be tortured until she revealed the location and then put to death as slowly as humanly possible for all the trouble she had caused him. 
The group was led for the last time out in the middle of the hangar. And then Joan, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up and shouted, I see Jesus, and she did. Not unlike Stephen, in the book of Acts, she saw the Son of God sitting on his throne at the right hand of the Father. Her face burst with radiant light, and the demon-controlled women covered their ears and charged at her with gnashing of teeth. Dr. Lynn and Megan slipped past them, tried the doors to leave the hangar, but they were bared shut. They were running out of time. Meg found the controls for the hangar doors and opened it. Normally this would have aroused suspicion, but the demons in these women were so out of control, all they could do was in hatred, which cannot be described in words, try to devour Joan. Dr. Lynn and Joan went to the plane. While it seemed like heaven and hell were battling, Meg revved up the engine to taxi out of the hangar. At the same time, Joan lowered her hand, committed her spirit to the Lord, and the demon sliced her body into shreds. The plane was getting close to the doors when Megan heard the loud roar. The hangar doors were closing. She gunned the throttle and was just about to clear the doors. They both had to jump out of the plane as the wings wouldn't clear in time. The plane hit the hangar door and burst into flames. A dark smoke filled the air. They found fuel barrels and they tipped them over, opening them, and the liquid danced with the flames, turning the entire hangar into a fiery inferno. It was as if paper was burning in a fireplace. The entire hangar was completely engulfed in flames. It happened so quickly no one got out. All perished, either from being burnt alive or from smoke inhalation. John Elton knew when all the demons returned to him, fearing what he'd do to them after their hosts were destroyed, put his fist down on the table in rage. He would not ever find the entrance to that underground railroad. He video called Chin Vao, who was worshipping her ancestors surrounded by candles. John informed her she had, she had failed him. Whether it was the two demons inside her, or her fearing her uncle or John Elton would do to her, or it was her pride, she picked up the sword and drove it deep into her heart. And as she fell, she knocked over the candles, setting the whole penthouse ablaze. It was an extremely cold day in Anchorage. Water wasn't running. And like the great San Francisco fire of 1906, all the firemen could do is watch the giant building burn to the ground. John Elton was expecting his two highest-in-command demons to show up in Washington, D.C. This was not a meeting he intended to have today. But it wasn't. He wasn't God. He was a creature, not the creator, so his knowledge was limited. This day reminded him of another battle he lost, when back in the day he inspired a third of the angels to rebel and try to take over the throne of God. He was surrounded by many of the same angels, who had turned into demons when they fell like he did. He said to them, This is an unfortunate but minor setback, and don't worry, soon you will have new hosts. He now would have to deal with the uncle of Ching Vao, out of Asia, who oversaw the sex trade operation for all the world from an organization called The Office. He decided to see Gang Gi personally. It was time for damage control. Gang Ji was sitting on a tamari mat, having tea served by young women there to meet his every need. John appeared to him and Gang Ji thought he was seeing a ghost dragon. He didn't move. His chopsticks were suspended in midair with his sushi cup between them. 
I'm not a ghost, but a dragon, said John Elton. But you need not fear me, for you've done well in my service. The news hasn't reached your ears yet, but a hundred one of your choice women warriors burnt to death today, to include your two nieces. I need you to not speak, but to listen. Appoint your only daughter, Alana, for she is to be the new queen of the women's sex traffic industry in Alaska. I know you protect her and she's your only daughter. However, I'm not asking. Permit me to speak, said Gangi. No, said John Elton. I understand she's married and has a family, but they will have an unfortunate accident. John looked at his watch right about now. They are now all dead, but your daughter, train her. Her grief will make her heart hard, and she will take the place in the next week with another hundred women warriors. What if I do not agree to give her to you, said Gangly. You spoke, said John Elton. It was like electrical shock jolted Gangly's body. Do not speak again, said John Elton. And with that, he left like a ghost and was back in Washington, D.C. It was time for his meeting. All over the world, they videoed in. The agenda was set. These initially were not evil people, but quite sincere. And John loved sincerity. It was his best friend. He would partner with anyone, and they wouldn't even know their good intentions turned evil. It is said that money makes the world go around, which is true in John Elton's vision. The richest people in the world were mostly his. Some willing surrendered. Others allowed the demons to enter them. And still others were just greedy, and their lust for money was food for their devotion to him. This climate change agenda to save the planet campaign was a perfect example of how good, good people could turn to evil. People got so concerned about the planet, they didn't mind sacrificing some of the people in it. Same for the pro-choice movement. Who wouldn't be for that? Except in the name of women's rights and health care, babies weren't just second-class citizens. They were worth absolutely nothing at all. John hated humanity. So why not help them create ideologies and change definitions, all to suit his purpose, their destruction? Environmentalists, which is a noble pursuit, turned radicals, and milk from cows was being dumped out, and soon people will be eating insects for their protein. His favorite group, though, and he had representation from each of them, were those who were victims. It didn't matter what they were victims of. They would seldomly forgive, and in the end, they became the worst victimizers than those who victimized them. He loved the pain-produced people who became groups that would do such damage in the name of their cause. Humans were so good at this. And he had their buy-in because he promised them and their groups that he would not, they would never be victims again. When countries became wealthy, one of the most effective strategy was to have them abhor their source of wealth, like closing oil industries for an industry far more damaging to the environment and far easier to control the people. There were representatives of healthcare and education and many religious leaders, even the media. The scene was set for the UN speech. Everything was in place. He had every country at his beck and call. Joan, who had barely a memory of being devoured by demons, entered heaven, where she saw God, the Father, his Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and fell on the floor and worshipped them. It wasn't a conscious decision, 
as it was what her soul was created to do. She was welcomed with the words, Well done, daughter. These beings who she could only imagine before were more beautiful than any words could describe. The only word that came to her mind was holy. And she repeated the word repeatedly with the angels. For that seemed like an eternity, she stayed bowed, and then she heard these words, Arise, daughter. She found herself approaching Jesus and being welcomed with open arms. She felt such an overwhelming sense of love in her heart and consumed by such tenderness. More angels appeared and a white robe was placed on her. You are the first martyr in the Antichrist's reign, but you will not be the last until the bowl is full of the blood of the saints, said the father. Joan asked Father God about Meg and Dr. Lynn. Daughter, he said, and he opened her eyes to see all there was but smoke where the hangar once stood. My son was there, said Father God. Joan watched, and out of the smoke walked out Meg and Dr. Lynn, with no smell of fire or smoke on them. Joan smiled. They lived. Yes, said Father God. Just like three other men that a king sent to a furnace five times hotter, these two were protected by my son. I have a purpose for their lives that exceeds even what they know, said Father God. Dr. Lynn and Meg didn't fully realize what happened, other than a third person joined them in the fire. They also didn't know. Joan was looking down at them from heaven, smiling. And then they began their journey to the Underground Railroad. What I enjoyed most out of this episode was Joan's interaction with Father God and the miraculous saving of Meg and Dr. Lynn. While the story, continued story, is one of imagination, there's still truth in the narrative. There will be an Antichrist, and while his origins are unknown at this time, we know his character. I remember reading how the devil cannot create, he can only imitate. It would make sense then, just as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Antichrist would be filled with the spirit of Lucifer. Now this would be the very this would be a very long miniseries indeed if I went through the entire book of Revelations. So the series will be wrapping up probably in a few more episodes. The gospel message remains the same. There is a God. You are not him, nor is the devil. You live in a world with angels and demons, opposing forces of perfect good and perfect evil. You now can choose Christ and follow him. But there will come a day, and that day has already come for many in the world, the persecution that will come with the price of your life. Join me in the next episode, episode 22, for the great persecution.